it's the same premise for many men with mm-hmm. just a different storyline mm-hmm. where the father was basically trying to toughen their kid up. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, I, I I've also heard of men that, you know, it actually helped them. You know, some, some people get motivated by somebody being tough with them or they find strength in that. It gives them a kick in the ass. It just didn't work for me. It just, and never has. No. It just, it just crushes me. Welcome to Confessions of a Financial Advisor, the antidote to conventional financial wisdom. My name is Al, and I've been a financial advisor for over 20 years. This podcast will explore the emotional and psychological factors that affect our behaviors. All of the other financial podcasts out there will talk about the numbers and the math. We will confront the stories that we all fuse with that ultimately set the course for our lives. I am not looking for new clients and have no intention on running for any kind of office. I'm going to tell you like it is and call out all the commonplace BS. Now, let's get into confessions of a financial advisor. This is episode 25 Harsh and tender. I'm here with Diane, my co-hosts. Hey, Al. My partner in crime. We've just been talking a while about harsh and tender. And you know where I got, I didn't tell you where I got this quote. It's real random. So there's a movie. Of course that's a movie. And it's called, Ad, <laughs> I know, it's always a movie for guys. The name is Ad Astra, I think it's called. Okay. It's with Brad Pitt. It's like a space movie. It's like Ad Astra means something. I should research this stuff before I start <laughs> lapping my lips. But um, it's from that movie. And there was just like a line. He has like this little like kind of monologue. And he just says, there's times in my life where I wish I was more tender than harsh. Mm-hmm. And it just, again, struck a chord. I'm like, oh, yep. yep. Every man thinks that's like, that's our plights in life is to try to make ourselves softer. Not the opposite, which we're taught as little kids to be harsh to be strong, to be callous, to be resilient and tough. Most men grow up society and also their family telling them that this is the way you have to be. Indoctrinated into that way of being. Yeah. Push down emotions. Do not be soft in public. And mm. power comes from being hard. Like So power and strength are synonymous with harsh. Harsh and being tough and... And it's the opposite. It's literally the... I totally disagree with that. I totally agree with that. Well, it's it's not true. I mean, that's pretty much the... It's re- in reality, that is not true. Yeah. You know, and I think of like the football coach that is screaming at the team. And then you think of also the other football coach that's more encouraging. And supportive. And that's supportive. And I've experienced this in my life with all my coaches, like growing up playing soccer, Mm -hmm. even like the sales manager that I first had at the big insurance company where I was cold calling was freaking awesome. Like the most encouraging guy. Yeah. Soft-spoken, always calm, never got worked up, never like get into a frenzy and come on, let's go. We got to make more phone calls. Let's move it. What's wrong with you? You know, and other managers were like that. And he was just like, no, you know, just take your time. It's fine. And everything is very soft and encouraging. And that always helped me. Yeah. 
And again, we have the same mentality because anytime somebody's like real harsh with us, we just kind of turn off. Like I'm like, nope, I'm out of here. Yeah. You can keep that for yourself. It's like, nope. Yeah. It's almost like this deer in headlights for me. I'm like, I don't react well to that. Like that's not, <laughs> it's not even doing remotely what you want it to do. Right. Well, it's doing the opposite. <laughs> Talk about opposite. <laughs> It's all opposite. Yeah, it's doing the polar opposite. Of what? You're trying to motivate me and I don't want to do it. Now I'm like, I'm just going to sit here. I'm not doing anything. Very true. And it's not even like the rebel in me. It's it's just my reaction. I just get turned off. I'm like, get the hell away from me. I don't want to hear that. I don't want anybody yelling at me. Mm -hmm. I'm not a confrontational person. I'll take encouragement any day over tough love or whatever. So, but then, all right. So fast forward into adulthood. Now, I'm talking from the male perspective, but because I think harsh is just a natural tendency of a man, whether he's a parent, he's this way towards his friends, towards a spouse or partner. Mm -hmm. But I think it all stems, originates from how harsh he is with himself. Uh, Right. So when you're that drill sergeant of yourself, you're on worse. You're not doing it. Women experience that too. In a different way context probably. My mind is a very dark place. I am by far my own worst critic. I beat myself up. That's the default setting. My default is not to be gentle with myself and to give myself Mm. time and space. That's interesting. Yeah. Because we also said on the other side of that was that women are by nature more nurturing. They know that like a person's heart needs to be expressed, not suppressed or hardens. Yeah. We're coming to it from the same place. We're both hard on ourselves, Mm -hmm. but outwardly you're tender and outwardly a man feels like he has to be harsh. Like he has to, like, especially when it comes to children, Mm -hmm. the tendency is to be harsh with them because you want to toughen them up. You want them to be resilient. Because the world is a tough place and the world is going to knock you down. I can see the reasoning behind it. However, There's a way, I think, to show up in the world and navigate challenging life circumstances without being a total jerk, Mm. without being too harsh, while still retaining some amount of tenderness. Yeah, there's a way of doing it. I think it's more through example than through either one of those, like being harsh and tender. Maybe it's just the way you move in the world. Mm -hmm. By example, you're showing somebody how to do it. I think there's times to be harsh. I think there's times to be tender. I think most men gravitate towards the harsh. It's the easier reaction because it's anger. It's fear, then anger, and then the anger comes out and you're harsh, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're fearful that your kid is going to be soft and then they're going to get hurt. You don't want to see them get hurt. So it's coming from a place of fear that you think they're going to get hurt by the world. Perceived protection. Yes. And... Also, it happens with a significant other, like a spouse or a partner. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, like what? Money is always like the big thing within relationships, right? Where <laughs> one, you of see, we, one of them, you see like one spouse being harsh to the other one. Like, why are you spending all this money on the credit card? You need another pair of freaking shoes, really? Right. You know, like they take that kind of tone, but it's coming from a fearful place. Like, hey... I want to be financially secure and And you're out spending money on. Yeah. Yeah. You're making things very precarious. And like, I'm kind of worried that this is going to continue and we're going to be in like dire straits at some point. Like they're Mm -hmm. again, catastrophizing, projecting. 
Judging. Judging. Uh, <laughs> That's an entire conversation of its own. Always comes back to judging. It's this judgment. Mm-hmm. It's all based in fear. It's all based in fear. It's all rooted in fear. I'm afraid that my child is going to be beaten up by the world with my spouse or my partner. I'm afraid we're going to both be beaten up by the world if one (laughs) person's kind of out of line with their spending or. Right. Yeah. And most, and again, most of the time when I've been harsh in my life towards someone else, it did not produce the result that I intended. Mm. It always backfired. It always, it never never really worked. Mm. Isn't that interesting? It was me just kind of venting and then them turning off to it. And then on the flip side, every time I've been tender in a moment where, you know, I had the tendency to be harsh towards someone, mm-hmm. always helpful. Yeah. Always helpful. I mean, this works like, I mean, with children. In any relationship. In any relationship, but especially with children, because I mean... They're smaller people. They don't have the experience we have. And the perspective. Yeah. And we're by nature or by design. We're the authoritarian figure. We're bigger than them. They're, you know, we're adults, they're children. Right. So. Well, we talked about your dad in the post and the things that we learned from our parents growing up. And your dad modeled and showed you and told you verbally even Mm -hmm. to toughen up. Yes. And one, one instant, I mean, for, at 47 years old, there's an instant that happened in childhood that I'll never forget. And if I feel like it's one of the defining moments that have made me talk about this post and basically think about this kind of thing and feel this kind of like anxiety of feeling like I need to be hard. I need to be tough. I need to be go, go, go produce. Yeah. The you're weak. Yeah. You're weak provider. if you don't produce. And it comes from an instant when I was a kid, random day, you know, it might've been a weekend. Maybe I was 10 years old, 11 years old around that time period out with friends, you know, playing football, whatever. I wound up getting into a fight with one of the kids in the neighborhood. He punched me in the nose, Mm -hmm. came back with like a bloody lip and a bloody nose. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of upset. So I got home and I sat down at the table and my mom's like, Oh, what happened? You know? And she's going through this whole thing. And I'm like, upset and telling the story. And my dad's like, next time you get beaten up outside of the house, you're going to get another beating when you get in the house. Hmm. And I remember so sensitive, like it just like my heart just kind of was crushed. And I remember I ran to my garage. I was in the kitchen. I ran to my garage and just closed the door behind me and started crying. I don't want my parents to see me crying because they Mm -hmm. told me you can't cry in front of them, you know? Mm. And then my mom runs in, of course, like right. to kind of console me. Right. And I remember what I said. I remember I basically said, I was like, if every parent told their child what dad just told me, it doesn't make any sense. Then we'd all be getting beatings when we got home for getting beating. <laughs> like I, my little child brain didn't understand what he was saying. Like, I didn't understand the concepts. Yeah. I'm like, wait, I just got beaten up outside. Why would you beat me up? Right. Why would you I didn't pile get it. onto it? Yeah. Like, it didn't make me tough. It didn't make me hide me. It crushed me. Like, it did the opposite of what he intended. Because I think, obviously, as an adult, thinking back on this, I think of what his intention was in that moment. Not that he had some master plan, right? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> right. I think it was just his anger coming out and this is the way you toughen up a kid. And, yep. But it did the opposite. And again, at 47 from an 11 year old kid, I carry that with me today. Like mm-hmm. that's, and I, I react from that kid's perspective. Like I got to be hard. I got to be hard. Somebody will kick my ass if I don't kick someone else's ass. Like it's, right. What a like what a fucked up kind of way to now it <laughs> just talking about it sounds it sounds I think many men could probably relate in some way. It's not the same story. It, it could be the same as like the, the details differ. Yeah. I mean the level of trauma and abuse differs, but we all have wounds from childhood. It's just a matter of what they look like. But yeah, we still carry yeah. them, you know, decades later. And I think the similarity though for you could speak for women, but for men, it's a very similar story. Like my story was that story, but I think you can, it's the same premise for many men Mm -hmm. with just a different Mm storyline where the father was basically trying to toughen their kid up. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, I, I, I've also heard of men that, you know, it actually helped them. You know, some, some people get motivated by somebody being tough with them. Or they find strength in that. It gives them a kick in the ass. It just didn't work for me. It just, and never has. No. It just, it just crushes me. So that's kind of, yeah. I mean, when it comes to my dad, he was that kind of guy. But I know, obviously, as an adult, it came from a place of fear. He was doing the best that he knew how to do with the tools that, you know, he was carrying his own wounds from his own childhood. Absolutely. And our parents did the best that they knew how to do with what they had to work with. And that's all any of us can do. And there's a gentleness in really remembering that, that, you know, we're all just doing our best. I think he remembered himself as a little kid that probably felt beaten up and just like the world hurt him. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, I'm going to toughen my kid up so the world doesn't hurt him. Mm -hmm. So it came from like a loving place, believe it or not. I mean, it's a strange kind of... The expression of of it is a little messed up. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right. The expression of it and yeah, the actual, you know, reaction that I had to it was not what he intended. Mm Mm-hmm. Again, common thing men want to, they want their kids to be tough and resilient. And the way that comes out is they're harsh with them. The tender part of it, like being soft with somebody, being encouraging and that kind of me too idea of like, I understand what you're going through. Yeah. You know, I always think like in that moment, if my dad was like, oh man, I understand what you're going through. I've been there. All right. Yeah. I've been there. Right. I know that feeling. It sucks. Whole co- concept of empathy. Yeah. <laughs> what a novel idea. Yeah. It just live with empathy, right? That's all you need to know in this world. Like just, if you can do that. Have a little bit more empathy for people. Cause for all, everyone's got a story. Everyone's got trauma. Everyone's got grief that we're holding. And you don't know by looking at someone, what they're navigating through. You just don't. And it's hard sometimes, like I was telling the story earlier in Walmart. (laughs) I I wanted to punch people because they were getting in my way because I move here. I walk very quickly. And like this guy just stopped. In that moment, I wasn't being very empathetic. But yeah. Right. Like what if he had like some kind of jarring. He's not going to have a social conversation. (laughs) I'm just like, what are you doing? Like move. Yeah. (laughs) 
I don't always get it right. Uh, so women aren't <laughs> always tender is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can be harsh. I can cut. It's not yeah. my go-to, but it's available for when I need to utilize it. So it's one thing with strangers. So that's a, you know, you're in some random place and it's a stranger. I get that. You're flipping people <laughs> car and you know <laughs> a little road rage here and there but when it comes to your loved ones where does how does it come out like do you find yourself to be more nurturing or harsh with definitely more nurturing with the yeah. people that i'm close yeah. to yeah because not everyone gets See, close I- to me like not everyone is allowed close to me i'm very discerning and who i choose to spend time with and who i choose to allow into my life what about family <laughs> Oh God! Uh, That's the tough. How much one. information yeah. would you like? <laughs> so for listeners, like we don't ever use the video, but Al and I can see each other. <laughs> yes, he's watching my reaction. Family. Well, um, I have some very clear boundaries. Um, I think we've talked about this before. There are a number of reasons that my family lives in certain parts of the country, and I live right. several hundred miles away. You have three days. So- <laughs> three days I of tender it. in you <laughs> and then harsh is coming that's stretching it that's stretching that's it like i get home i'm like i need a nap like i just can't like i get on the plane and i'm just like oh fuck me <laughs> like, yeah oh i get to even they drop me off at the airport like i'm sitting in the airport lounge oh, oh relief i love my family mm-hmm. but they're not the people that i would turn to when I'm having a meltdown yeah. emotionally. Cause I, I go home and then they throw me into like seven year old me and I'm like, I'm fucking 41. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> yeah. Like you have to like, they <laughs> revert back to childhood. It's like, there's little Diane, seven year old Diane. <laughs> yeah. Did I tell you the story of right after the whole trauma thing happened? They were here or several of them were here. Not all of them. Mm-hmm. At one point, I went to pour myself a glass of wine. This was right after surgery. Because they were in my house and they were staying with me and I didn't want them there. And I had told them not to come. And then they arrived anyway, against my wishes. Like I wake up from anesthesia to the news that my parents are on their way. And I'm like, I didn't ask for this. Wow. Let me hold this. (laughs) So I pour the glass of wine and my mother is like horrified. Like, what are you doing? You're on... What is oh, because you're on medication or something? Like, you're on narcotics. I'm like, it's freaking ibuprofen. Like, <laughs> So I took my wine, yeah. went and sat outside. And then when I came back inside, my mother looks at me and says, you have just proven why you need us here. Because you are incapable of making appropriate decisions. And I was like, I, I, I'm out. I'm out. Like, I went upstairs to my bedroom, closed the door. I'm like, done. Done. Wow. Yeah. They just threw really me back put- into childhood. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Those were a long But you love days. them. I do but love, love them. them. I do love it them. It just, but for three days is a good amount of time. Like that's max. Three days, like, yeah, every so often. Like every so often. <laughs> right. Not like. <laughs> well, they live up north and I don't travel north in the wintertime. So. Well, this harsh and tender thing works. I mean, it's so easy to be tender when people are easy to be tender with i mean when people it's, are behaving the way you want them to behave exactly you don't have the, <laughs> yeah when the world outside is is coming at you the way you want it right because you have all these expectations of this oh. is the way people are supposed to treat me 
And if they don't treat me this way, then I'm going to be upset. And that's when it happens. The people that push your buttons aren't treating you the way you want to be treated or the way you are expecting to be treated. Mm -hmm. That's the hard part. So it's all well and good when things are, you know, hunky dory and it's real easy and people aren't pushing your buttons. Try doing it when they're pushing your buttons and you're sleep deprived and there's other things going on. Uh-huh. That's where like this post to me, like really, I think about it. Like I think about this kind of thing in moments where like I'm real agitated. And again, I, right. I have a tough time saying like when somebody's agitating me, no, it's I'm getting agitated by what they're doing. They can't be agitating me. I'm giving them too much power by saying right. you're agitating me. No, I'm just reacting. That right. That's the internal reaction that is arising. They're not doing it. They're not responsible for what you're feeling. Your feelings are all internal. Yeah. Somebody else in my shoes could have could be reacting completely calm. It could be a non-issue. Non-issue. Yeah. And again, I think it comes back to that remembering, like just remembering this because I forget about it. I don't remind myself that this is the time. Like, okay, you're feeling this. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Step back. Remove yourself for a minute. It's okay. Break. Just take a break. Like, don't like, you're going to go down this freaking rabbit hole and you're not going to get out. So you see yourself going into it, pull yourself back out, take a deep breath reconvene. But that's a learned skill. And not everyone is really willing to learn or open up to embracing that. I know some people in the world who are not. It's like, well, that's your choice. But But, they're just, and they're not pleasant to be around. So I don't spend time with them. Well, that's what I mean. So, and then in turn, other people don't want to spend time with them either. And in turn, they suffer. And then they wonder why. And then they wonder why. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole point of doing all of this, like, kind of internal work and, like, you know, seeing how you're behaving and what's triggering Uh you and those types of things is that you want to live a more happy, content life. Like, you don't want to be the person that nobody wants to be around. I mean, that's just not, I mean, that's not the way you get along in life. People don't want to be around you. Maybe the problem's you. It's like, oh, you've been divorced four times. Like, I don't know. What have you taken some time to be by yourself? Yeah, Uh, I just picked. I picked four wrong people. (laughs) Oh, they're full. It was all their fault. All right. Well, mm -hmm. and it always comes back to like getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. Like that's what all this is to me. Like all of this kind of, all these ideas come back to that that premise of like. As soon as I get anxious, uncomfortable, angry, all these emotions that are stirring like these heavy energies, uh-huh. maybe I, you know, maybe those will always be ebbing and flowing in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure they will. They have been up to this point. And maybe like the practice is more to try to figure out how to be a little bit more comfortable in that uncomfortability, in that heavy energy, mm-hmm. how to step back and just be like reevaluate and just sort of pump the brakes so to speak. Yeah. Well, you talked about it being as a man, very uncomfortable to open your heart and even say, I love you. And we've had a lot of conversation about that topic. Yes. And just like a personal story on that. My parents never said those words. Never. Really? Like my my mom would write it in a card. Sometimes she'd write, I love you in a card, you know, like a birthday card. 
But this is, you know, later in life. So as a kid growing up, there was no I love yous. But I never thought they didn't love me. It wasn't like there was like this lack of love. They just didn't speak that way. They didn't say it. Yeah. Right. And then when I met my ex-wife when I was 21, uh-huh. I mean, she would basically say, I love you to everyone. Like, I mean, to cousins, to <laughs> coming and going, like anywhere. Like, you know, I had breakfast and you're just like going out to the, I love you. I'm like, what's going on here? Why is there so many I love you's being thrown around? <laughs> it made me uncomfortable. I'm like, I didn't, and you know, and then they would start saying it to me. And I'm like, I don't even know you. Like, you're like a distant family kind of, right. you know. right. Yeah, it was just a comfortability thing. And but again, I want to be clear. Like I, it wasn't like I didn't feel like my parents loved me. They just didn't speak those words. So then I grew up around, around that kind of environment where like, oh, well, you don't say those words. Right. Or I also came from it it almost seemed like those words were so important they were needed to be saved for a special occasion maybe. Like or they words. shouldn't Yeah, they shouldn't be thrown around so loosely because they have a heavy connotation to like, it's, I love you. Like, that's a big thing. You think they feel heavy? Oh, no, no. Heavy is not the right word. I I guess so important. Like, so uh, meaningful. They feel so meaningful that like, I don't want to just throw that around to everybody. So this is the thought process I had. Don't get me. Like I say, I love you all the time now. No, I'm fascinated. I'm like, like, I love you guys. (laughs) Yeah. So you've said it to yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> I say it to yeah, I say it to my friends, I say it to my daughter repeatedly. She's probably like rolling her eyes half the time. Yeah. Enough dad. Yeah. I just had to jump that hurdle because like, I again I wasn't exposed to it. And then going from that to my ex's family, who literally said it more times than I've ever heard a family say it. Mm. I kind of started to learn. And then it, the funny thing is it, it first came out with my friends. My friends and I would say that kind of stuff you know, which was great. You know, it was more like a loving kind of relationship with my friends. Um, It took me a while to incorporate that into like romantic relationships and to, you know, family, that kind of thing. So again, it still feels a little bit strange, uncomfortable, Hmm. but I'm working with it. You know, it's getting there. It's (laughs) seems so easy for some people. Some people just like love saying those words, love hearing those. I say it all the time. I don't even know that. I don't even care to hear hearing them. I don't care, but I do say them a lot. You don't. So you don't feel like a sense of like warmth, like when somebody says it to you. Yeah, Yeah. I guess I do. But like I told you, I've written about, you know, if I were to be in a partnership, I would rather hear instead of I love you, I would rather hear I choose you because it would be a choice. And it is a choice. It's a daily choice to be in a partnership with someone. Like, I don't need to hear I love you necessarily. Mm. Might be nice, but I would rather hear I choose you. I like that. Yeah. Well, you hear just a shift in perspective. And words only have the meaning that we assign to them. You know, words are just words, they're just tools. The only meaning that words ever have are the ones that we assign to them. So if we want to choose a different meaning, we can. I think that's where it goes when I was telling you that my parents didn't say those words. It, For whatever reason, in my head, it meant that those words were so important that they should almost never be spoken. <laughs> like they're so, yeah, they're they sacred. sacred. They're so meaningful. Like it should be only said in certain instances when, again, this is my child mind kind of thinking this. But isn't, isn't that coming from a scarcity mentality? Mm. 
I don't know. That's where my mind goes with it. Oh, here comes the th- here comes the therapy. You're not gonna run out. Of- <laughs> <laughs> right. There's only a certain amount of love to go around. <laughs> to save them up. It's like wait. Yeah, or like deserving. Like, there's an endless supply. Like you can save them whenever. Looping this back around into like the harsh part is like. A hard, like a hard person, a tough person doesn't say I love you. This is what I was taught. Like as a kid, you don't say that. So that's mm-hmm. soft. Like that's part of being soft and weak. weak. Yeah. So maybe it was a mix of all of these things where, but the funny thing is, I remember the turn. I remember the turn where I met a friend that would say that kind of thing was softer. He was a friend that basically didn't get into physical alter- altercations. He basically was just the guy that like everybody loved and he was tender. He was like a tender guy through and through. Didn't have an aggressive mm-hmm. bone in his body. Mm-hmm. And he, I, when I saw him and I saw the power he had in being that way, I was like, I want to be like that. Like, I'm, I'm, I want I'm, I'm like, that. all this harsh shit is not serving me well. Like, I feel like shit <laughs> and it makes me feel terrible. And I don't feel I, like I, on the inside, I'm projecting this hardness, but it's not me. And he's doing it the mm-hmm. opposite and it's working. Mm-hmm. It's working better than anybody else that I saw that was being tough and harsh. So I was like, wow, this power in being loving and being kind. And don't we all want power? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it comes, <laughs> but again, the, pe- the people being around you, like the people wanting to be around you, they want to be around people that are kind and loving and tender. I do. I want to be around those people. They, those people make me feel good about myself. They're uplifting. And yeah, there is a lot of power. And easy to be around. And supportive. And people gravitate toward that. Good listeners. Yeah, I just collect people around Charlotte as I go about my day. Well, it's why I love talking to you. I mean, it's you're easy to talk to and it, you're... I can't tell you how... open-minded. Yes, I can't tell you... It's just so easy to be around you. It's one of, I hear it all, but like Lyft drivers tell me, you really are just easy to talk to and be around. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Just chatting the whole time. And, but I have a harsh side too. Mm -hmm. It doesn't come out all like I have to be pushed pretty far. Yeah. But push me far enough. Steel wrapped in silk, right? (laughs) (laughs) Again, you could have a tough side, but it's the way you are towards people that, in general, and that also a reciprocal, right? I mean, you know, people that are harsh towards you, I'm sure they get harsh right back. You could spit a little venom, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all can, right? I mean, that's that's part of being from New York. It's just that's yeah. eaten into you. Lately, in parking lots, I'm just like, get me the fuck out of here. I can't, I can't deal with this shit. Because everybody's home, we're all quarantined. So then, like, the trip to the grocery store is like the highlight of the day. So we also, the last thing we were talking about before we started recording was the different. Like, if you have two choices, you're going to be right or you're going to be kind. Like, which do you choose? And I do enjoy being right. Right. But like in the context of being harsh and tender, it seems like being right is like the harsh view. Mm -hmm. Tender is just, listen, you can be right. It's okay. I'm just going to be nice to you. Well, we can have a difference of opinion and still get along. Like you can have a different opinion about something than I do. We don't have to argue about it. Like we don't even have to talk about it then. Like we can agree to disagree. 
And that's, I think that does take a level of strength to be willing to embrace that, that not everyone's always going to agree with everything that you think. Yes. And it's going to be the intensity of the moments and it's going to be how important the issue or topic you're talking about is. So for like the one you just mentioned about your brother, you know, after that happened, then he, he, he said to you after like your mom said what she said, mm-hmm. that this is why you need our help. And like, that's a tough one, right? Because that's now it's an intense situation. You, you're now brought back to your childhood. I mean, it's one thing where you're just having a conversation about some random topic with a friend. Yeah. You're not going to be, who cares if you're right? You're just having a conversation. I was a little angry at that point. <laughs> I will admit. And my family was actually very understanding. And I really do have a good family. And I do love them. And we say I love you all the time. Yeah. My parents, they really were very understanding of the fact that I was immediately post-trauma. And I was... Yeah, it's the intense, most intensive, intense situations. Yeah. yeah. That, I wasn't angry at the guy that assaulted me. I was angry at my family. Which people find interesting. (laughs) Like, you were more angry at your family and everybody around you. And I'm like, I had people around me making decisions for me that were in direct opposition to what I had said I wanted or didn't want. I didn't deal well with that. Because it's like, I just told you what I wanted and what I didn't want. And now you're completely over. And coming from a place of absolute love and care and concern. But they're like, yeah, you don't get to make that decision. I'm like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. You know, the people closest to you are always the ones that push your buttons the hardest. And the fastest. The fastest. Yeah. Yeah. And I always think of that, like living together with someone like that's just, it's such a tough thing to do when you live with somebody, especially with this whole quarantine going on where people are now with each other 24 seven. There's going to be a spike in the divorce rate. Oh man. I mean, it's just... And it's just all, you just conjure this stuff up in your mind. It all begins internally. Yeah. You're having, but you're having so much opportunity to be in conflict. <laughs> Whereas like in normal life, you have plenty of separation where like you can kind of go Time off apart. And, back and then go off and then come back. Now it's like, no, now you just came back and you're staying back. Yeah. yeah. So that's harsh and tender. Mm-hmm. Next week, we are going to have preventing the big mistakes. And I think of this in many different ways. I mean, finance is definitely one, but I mean, God, relationships, career. We can take that in several different Yeah, friendships, career, you know, preventing the big mistakes. I always think of, I've been listening to a couple of books. The name of the book is called Finding Tess. I don't know if you've heard of this. Hmm. It's about... I haven't. It's about, a, it's basically like a documentary type book and it's about a girl named Tess and her mother's, their struggle with her heroin addiction. She basically got onto Oxycontin and at a young age and then spiraled out of control and then wound up being murdered. And at the end of the story, are being murdered. It's a really intense story. The book previous to Finding Tess is called Dope Sick. And it's about the United States war with these companies that are producing these pain drugs that are supposed to be quote unquote to manage pain and they're being abused and like people cannot get off this shit. Right. So I think of preventing the big mistake to me is like, I always told myself like, don't ever do heroin. (laughs) I'm like, you want to smoke pot? Okay. You want to drink? Okay. You want to do some acid? All right. Do those things. Don't do heroin. Don't do crystal meth. Don't do these like 
ridiculous drugs that you know you've seen in these past, you know, situations that people have gone down the tubes, like doing that kind of stuff. So that would be like, to me, like one of the preventing big mistakes, you know? It's a pretty good boundary. It's a big one. Yeah. But just think of that. Like it's so easy to think about, but it's so easy not to do, you know, like people like kids will just dabble with it. It's not like they tried to get addicted to something. It's not like they're at a party. Somebody's like, Hey, try this pill. They took one pill. Like, Oh, I like that feeling. Let me take another one. A week later, they're freaking hooked and it ruins their life. Mm -hmm. I think of like these small decisions and my therapist once told me, I was telling you this earlier too, which is kind of deep and dark. He's like, basically everyone is two to three decisions away from ruining their lives. Mm. But I think of the flip side of that, maybe you're two to three decisions away from saving your life, saving your life, improving your life, mm-hmm. bettering all the lives around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just flip it. Yeah. So anyway, next week is preventing the big mistakes. It's going to be a good one. We're going to dedicate a whole podcast to it because I think there's a lot of different storylines in there. So please come follow us, faconfessions.com. Like, subscribe, share. Follow. Follow. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, all those things. Review. Yeah, please review. That'd be great. We've gotten a lot of cool reviews. So thank you to everybody out there that's doing Mm -hmm. that. Um, Well, thanks, Diane. It was fun. That was a good one. And uh, we'll see you next week with Preventing the Big Mistakes. See you next week. Take care.